Heavenly Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit. Help us this morning to better understand him and how it is that he would work in our lives. Lord, give us a greater appreciation and a greater desire for the Spirit. Encourage and equip us in all areas of life to live kingdom first. Every day of every week of... A couple of weeks ago, I decided to build a fort for my boys. I've got three of them. It seemed like the right thing to do. So I got in my garage and I built the first two big pieces. Thought, I'll just take these two pieces and carry them out into the yard and get my 4 by 4 across there and just drill them right in. By the time I was done with each one of those pieces, they weighed about 250 pounds. I needed help. So I called a friend. He came over. We got them out there. We got the first one up. We started getting it set up. As we're getting ready to put the second beam on, he says, is it square? And I stepped back and went, I guess. And he said, maybe we should measure it. I said, yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Let's measure it. Let's go ahead and do that. So we measured. It's like 20 inches off. I mean, it was not square. We basically got it square. It was close, really close. We got the rest of it up. But after that, I thought, all right, I've got to figure this stuff out. So I did a little more research, and I worked harder, and I kept going. And I built this, as my wife called it, monstrosity. It is gigantic. Just drive by my house. You can see it. The room that's on the top, I think, if I just added AC, my parents could stay in it when they came to see us. But as I was going through, when I go to connect the 4x4 to another 4x4, I've got these half-inch screws that are like six inches long. My drill would drive them about half to three-quarters of the way in. And then it would start its little clicking thing. So I'd move the torque up, still doing it. I'd move the torque all the way up so it wouldn't give. Then my arm would do this. It just didn't have the power to drive it all the way in. It could get it going. It could get it partway in. It just couldn't get that screw all the way in. That seemed like a good description of what I hear a lot about the Christian life. I could do it part way. I could do some of it. I kind of start down a path doing well, but then I just can't complete it. I don't have the power to do it all the way. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Where does the power come from? to do it all the way. And here's the thing you need to know, right off the bat. God calls his people to an impossible task, which does not seem very nice of him, does it? But he calls his people to an impossible task. Open up your Bible to Acts chapter two, if you're following along. God calls us to do the impossible. Acts chapter 2, 
We're going to start in verse 5. No, I'm sorry. Acts chapter 1, verse 5. I am having a morning. And, and, it's, and it's verse 6. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, they had to do something. They had to wait. They just had to wait. We read Luke's version last week in chapter 24 where the risen Christ has come back and he has a commission for them. Go be my witnesses. And last week I talked about one aspect of being a witness and here's that aspect. We are called to share Jesus. We're called to witness to who he is, to what he's like, to what he offers, to what he wants to do, to the way he loves. And I said, we gotta know him. If we're gonna share him, we gotta know him. And then I walked through a pathway. How might we do this? How might we grow in this? But there's a whole other side to being a witness. And it's to this side that he says to them, I want you to go and wait. Just wait. They have seen the risen Christ. They want to follow him. They believe in him. And it's still not enough. I would argue there's a sincerity to their belief, and it's still not enough. I would argue that they really want this, and that they have within themselves, among this group, they have a lot of different skills, a lot of strengths, and it's still not enough. He still tells them, go and wait. You need something that you do not have within yourself. You need something that is more than whatever your abilities are, whatever your intelligence is, whatever faith you might have. You still need something more because what I'm calling you to is impossible to do. What is it? What is the other side of our witness? We are not only to witness with our words to who Jesus is, we are to witness with our lives. Here is the hardest and scariest part of our witness to Jesus. We're called to be like him. We're called to do what he did. We're called to love in the ways that he loved. We're called to show compassion in the ways he showed compassion. Do you know at one point he told his disciples, you'll do greater things than I did? We're actually called to do things that he did. We are called to be like him, and that is part of our witness. I have preached more than once on John 13. By this, all men will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. If you love each other the way I Jesus loved you, guess what? They're gonna know you follow me because you're being like me. 
You're loving as I loved. How in the world do we do that? I mean, just for a moment, would you think about all the ways that you have failed to love? All the ways you failed to show compassion. All the ways you failed to be patient. All the ways you failed to trust God. Because you know what? We're called to trust like Jesus trusted. You know how radical it was when he said, I don't want you to worry about the basic necessities of life. Food, clothing. You don't need to worry about those things. I just want you to seek the kingdom. How much faith does that take? But that's his faith. That's what we're called to. Do you understand why he calls us to an impossible task? I mean, have you ever lived up to being like the person of Jesus on a consistent basis? I mean, all of us at times, I would assume we've had successes. I mean, there's been moments where I have treated somebody just like Jesus would have wanted me to treat them. There have been moments where I've responded to something with the kind of patience that Jesus has. And there have been times in my life in some of the hardest moments where I have completely trusted him. And then there's been plenty of times where a moment ago I asked you to think about all the ways that you failed, that I've had those. We are called to be a witness to Jesus by being like Jesus. And I just want you to understand how impossible that is. So this week, I read on sailing. I'll tell you why at some point, but I was just reading on sailing. I ended up having the article, and it was interesting, so I read up on sailing. And, and I learned something really interesting about sailing. So you probably all know, basically, you know, stick the sail up, and the wind hits it, and it moves the boat, right? And that's not too complicated. But did you know that today... You can sail, not with the wind, but almost against it, and still move forward. Just think about that. The way it works is, imagine the wind is coming this way. Your sail is here. As it hits the sail, the sail gives resistance to the wind, and it changes the direction of the wind. It moves the wind this way. But what does Newton's third law say? You've got that, which means you have to have an opposite and equal reaction, right? So it pushes the boat this way. Now, if it didn't have a keel underneath it, which was resisting it from going sideways, it'd push it this way. But with the force being pushed here and the force being pushed here, the boat will go forward. I thought that was kind of incredible. Like a sailboat basically sailing into the wind because of physics. Isn't that cool? There's a few science geeks going, yeah, more physics. But I thought that's really cool. But here's the thing. It can sail with the wind and it can sail against the wind, but guess what? Guess what happens if there's no wind? It doesn't sail. You can use oars, you can use a motor, you, but if you don't have those things, it doesn't sail. You have to have wind. That is the Christian life. 
we've been given the vessel to do what he's called us to do, but within ourselves, we don't have any wind. We need that wind to move us where he wants us to go. That is the part that is impossible. And here's the beauty of Pentecost. He gave us that power. Pentecost is the celebration of the power to do the impossible. Where we were over here going, there's no way that can happen. I cannot do that. I am a vessel sitting on still water and I have nothing but a sail and you want me to move? That's not possible. And Pentecost comes and here comes the wind, right? It's even the image that you get in Acts 2. Here comes the wind. And now the vessel can move. That is what we are given with the Holy Spirit. The power to do what we could never have done without him. Amen? So here's the other really, and this is actually what led me to study sailing, is here's the other incredible thing. Today, there are vessels that can sail faster than the wind is blowing. Now let that sink in for a moment. I mean, if the wind is blowing at 20 miles an hour and it's what's making you move, how do you, how do you go faster than the thing that's actually pushing on you? But you can. In fact, in competitions, they've got vessels going three times the speed of the wind that's pushing them. How does that work? You know when you go ride your bike and you get up speed, what do you feel on your face? Wind, right? But where's that wind coming from? You're producing it. If you stopped and there was no wind and you got going and you'd still feel it because you're producing that wind. What if you could harness the power of the wind that you produce from your movement? So next time you're in a car, um, this used to happen all the time when we weren't using AC. You know how people would hang an arm out the window? Did you ever do that? You know, get the tan on just one side? They're like hanging the arm out the window like this. But hang it out and let your hand go flat and then raise your, your, your palm a little bit and watch how it does this. That, that's the motion of an airplane lifting. Right? And it's using the wind that you're producing from the speed of the car. And now do this. Turn your hand this way and do the palm like this and feel your arm go out. That's what's happening with sailing. It's doing the same thing. It's actually called lift. Now, you don't fly, but it's called lift. And the same thing is happening. It's harnessing the power of the actual wind and you're moving faster than the wind that's pushing you. I just found that incredible when I read it. Because here's the thing. To be like Jesus is not, well, I'm kind of being good and I need to be a little better. That's not it. It's, I'm kind of being good and I need to be like God. <laughs> That's the gap. It's like saying you have to move faster than the wind. How does that happen? That is what the capability of the power of the Spirit is. In fact, that word power in Greek, dunamis, what it means 
is to have the capability to do something. It's not like power like, whoa, I'm now Hulk. The spirit came into me and I can smash things. It's not that kind of power. I know some of us would like that kind of power, but it's not that kind of power. It's the ability to do something that you could not have done before that point. How many of us would like that ability? How many of us would like our lives to more fully reflect who Jesus is? To be a witness, not only with our words, but in the way that we treat people, in the way that we handle circumstances in our lives. Would you like that? Then the question becomes, what are the conditions for the power of the Spirit in our lives? Because, let me read you a quote. Trying to do the Lord's work in your own strength is the most confusing, exhausting, and tedious of all work. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt just kind of like failure after failure after failure after failure at times? Have you ever felt like I've tried so hard and I still treated this person awfully? I felt so, I tried so hard and yet I still just wanted to tear that person's head off. I tried so hard and yet I still didn't have the courage to talk to this person about Christ. That's where so many of us live. So here's the question. Do we understand the power of the Spirit correctly or are we just wrong about this whole thing? And I had a friend, we had this big back and forth. He's like, you know what? I'm not seeing the Holy Spirit work in the way that the Scripture seems to say the Holy Spirit works in a lot of lives. Maybe we understand how he works wrong. That's one option. I think it's the other option. I think it's that many times we don't put our lives in the place to allow the Spirit of God to work. What are the conditions by which the Spirit of God tends to work? Now, let me just up front and say this. The Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants to do. You could be an awful, horrible person and he can still work in your life. You can be the most godly person in all of the world and he could still choose to hold back in a period of your life. He is free to do whatever he wants to do. But there are some things that we see going through Acts when he is working that might give us some clues as to some of the conditions by which he tends to work. And I want to talk about those for a minute. Number one, unity. The Spirit works when the people of God are unified. When there is division among people, among the people of God, we are breaking the very thing that Christ gave his life for and the nature of the indwelling spirit. So this is a, this, this image I'm about to give you has so many issues with it, so please just see it for the one point I'm trying to make. If somehow right now the Holy Spirit like started glowing blue or something and you looked around this room 
everybody who believes in Jesus Christ would look the same. We'd all be connected by the same spirit. So do you understand how disunity might grieve the Holy Spirit? And there's multiple times in Acts where they are praying together and then the Spirit moves. They're seeking him together and the Spirit moves. Unity. Where we are fractured, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Where we are unified, we put ourselves in a position for the Spirit to move. Unity. Number two, and this is from a different passage, so I'm going to go to it. This is Acts chapter 8. And there's a man named Simon. And Simon would like to get the Holy Spirit because he sees the power of the Spirit and he'd like that power. Now, in a way, isn't that what all of us are saying right now? We would like the power of the Spirit. I want to move from this over here to being more like Jesus. We want that. He wants it too. But here's the response that he gets. Verse 18 Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, and listen, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. The gospel reading, which was about loving Christ and he will send you the Spirit. Not only is our unity a factor in the Spirit moving, but so are our hearts. Why is it that we want the Spirit of God? Is it to love Christ and be like him? Is it to witness for him? Does our lives have a general desire about them to want to love the Lord, to want to seek what he wants, not just what I want? The condition of my heart has something to do with the movement of the spirit in my life. Unity, heart. Number three, and we saw it in here, the way that Peter just said it was, pray to the Lord that if possible, this could change. Pray to the Lord. Back in Acts chapter four, there's another great thing going on. They are witnessing at the beginning. I mean, this is really early on in the church. Verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported to the chief priests and elders what, what had been said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. There's that together again, unified. And they said, sovereign Lord who made, they begin to pray. We keep going, I'm gonna skip down a little bit into this. Verse 29, and now Lord, look upon the threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, 
the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I'm gonna say something about that passage, but first I wanna read one other thing out of Ephesians. And I think it's really important that Paul writes. This is out of Ephesians 1. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, the condition of the heart, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He's praying that the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what the hope is that you are called to and the riches of the glorious inheritance of the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Prayer. They are gathered together. They have hearts that are seeking the Lord, but they are actually praying. And their prayer starts with this. Sovereign Lord, we want the boldness to go bring you to others. Could you ever think of the apostles of being afraid? I mean, just think about that. They're not praying for boldness unless they have some fear. But just like the rest of us, if you've had those moments where you've been sitting there and you're like talking to somebody and you're going, I really need to say something about Jesus. It is so perfect. The door has been opened and yet... I'm starting to shake inside. The apostles had fear, but they prayed. Holy Spirit, give us the power, give us the strength to speak, to be bold, and work. Work as we are sharing Christ with other people. But I love Paul's prayer. Would you open the eyes of their heart to know the immeasurable power. I mean, here's the thing. I think at times we get so jaded, so hardened at times. I mean, we've failed so much. We've heard messages on being like Jesus and it's not worked. That we need to be praying at times, just say, God, please just open my heart to know your power. To believe that it is there, to believe it's there for me, for my friends, for others in the church to do your work. That the impossible task you've given us, you've given us the way to do the impossible in the spirit. Prayer. Unity, heart, prayer. And one final thing. And maybe the most challenging of all. Acts chapter three. This is how it starts Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called the beautiful gate, to seek alms of those entering. Now, seeing Peter and John about to walk into the temple, he asked them, alms, I I need a little bit of money. Just throw a coin in. I can't provide for myself. Every day, I've got to be carried here And then I just beg for a little bit and hope I get enough to survive off of. Would you give me some alms? And Peter directed his gaze at him. You don't see that very often. 
there's something happening where it's not just like he looked at him, but as this guy asked for all, Peter looks and he stares at this man. As did John, and they said, look at us. And the man fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. How much faith did it take for Peter in that moment to say those words? Here's the thing. Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to send you out. There's going to be times where you are persecuted, you are attacked, but when you get pulled before the authorities, I don't want you to rehearse what you're going to say. I don't want you to lean on yourself and figure this out because God's going to give you the words you need in that moment. How much faith does that take? I mean, I don't know about you, but I am really good at rehearsing the things I'm going to say. I mean, every hard conversation, every job interview, every whatever, like I'm really good at rehearsing all the things I'm going to say. And if I have long enough, I'll change them over time and find new things to say and freak myself out by them and then go back to the ones I started with. And some of you are laughing because you do the same thing. And he's like, no, I just want you to trust. Faith. The final component in all of this is faith. It's that moment where you trust. I get the privilege of having this moment almost every week. Every week almost. I stand usually back there, and it's before the service, and I'm saying, Lord, I am 90% ready for this sermon. And I've worked really hard but I just can't seem to get it all to come together and I'm giving it to you right now. And I'm gonna walk up and I'm going to just believe that you are gonna work. I'm gonna trust you to guide and to give the words for that 10% or the 40% that was terrible that you're gonna fix. But it's faith, it's trust. And without that, you're unlikely to see the Spirit of God working in power. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith. What are the conditions of the moving of the Holy Spirit? Well, number one, he doesn't have to have any. He can do whatever he wants. Don't ever forget that. Please don't think I'm giving you like just a checklist and if you do these four things, boom, power of the Spirit's all yours. It's not that. It's more like, how do I get my sail at the right angle? to receive the wind? How do I look at the forecast to have an idea when the wind is coming? Right? Number one, unity. Where you aren't unified with other believers, you really need to figure that out. Right? Unity. Number two, the condition of the heart. Are you seeking Jesus? Are you wanting to witness for his sake? The condition of the heart. Number three is prayer. Are you asking? And are you asking at times, even God just revealed to me the power of the Spirit? Like, I'm not even sure I believe this sometimes. And number four, will you step out? Will you say those words? Because here's 
what I think it might look like as you're standing there and you want to say something to that friend, you're just going to have to say it in trust. Just like walking up here before all these people and going, Lord, I don't know how this is going to end, but I'm trusting you. I'm going to start speaking and believing. And then see what he does. So I built the playground because my son started reading Calvin and Hobbes. And he was reading Calvin and Hobbes, and you know, if you've read it, you know Calvin has a fort. And there's multiple comic strips where he's in the fort. And my son wanted a fort like Calvin. And so I'm like, all right, we can do this. We have no trees, so we can't build it into a tree. This giant, beautiful, big backyard, not a single tree in that backyard. But we can build the fort. And so because of Calvin and Hobbes, I built a fort for my son. But I also like Calvin and Hobbes. There's some really insightful, neat things in Calvin and Hobbes. And and here's one of them. And it's a great strip. (laughs) Calvin, first panel. Calvin's got water, and he walks out, and there's two flowers And he's standing there and he looks at both flowers. Second panel, he says, I have all the power. I get to determine whether you grow or not. Third panel, you have no control over. Fourth panel, rain. (laughs) Deluge. And I feel like that's what we do. It's this whole reliance on me thinking about all my power and the things I can or can't do, trying to make things happen with all my gusto. And by the way, you need to give everything you have. This is not a lazy faith. This is never a call for you to sit on your rear end and go, okay, spirit, do things. That is not how Christianity works. You give your all, and then he makes you go faster than what the wind can make you go. But you got to remember that he is there. And that rain can come and do so much more than your little thing of water could ever do. That's what we have in the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, come. Come among us. As you already live in us, let us submit more fully to you in our minds in our hearts and by faith to live differently as we trust that you can do the impossible that we have been called to or change your church by the power of the spirit and let us be those people who would receive and walk in it that we could be the church of the impossible in the power of the Spirit. In the name of Jesus and for his sake and for his honor and glory, we ask it. Amen.